Terry Wilburn just said, get up there. <laughs> I tell you what, what I have to go through. <laughs> well, if you brought your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and we want to look at the entire chapter of the book of Philippians. And I'm going to read a few verses and call your attention to some more. I want to start a sermon series this morning on Philippians. And this morning I'm going to share a sermon that I've entitled, Having Joy in Your Circumstances. Having Joy in Your Circumstances. Now, first of all, let's look at verse 1. And I'll share a few comments. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father, and from the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'll notice there, Paul begins this letter, this book, with a salutation. He begins with a salutation there in verse 1, and he does it in a way that we're not familiar with. He um, Normally, we write a letter. When we write a letter, we'll write, Dear so-and-so, and then we write our letter, and then we sign our name. Well, in biblical days, they would begin by telling you first who they were, and then who it's to, and then a greeting, and then they would have the body of the letter. And so if you look, if you will, look at verse 1 again, and you can see those steps. First of all, it's from Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with bishops and deacons. Now, Paul had founded the church at Philippi on his second missionary journey. There were three noble or memorable conversions, I should say, went on his first missionary journey. Uh, if you remember, there was a lady by the name of Lydia. She was converted by a conversation. And then you had a slave girl. And there was a, uh, there was a uh, confrontation. She was converted. And then you had the Philippian jailer. All three of these became the nucleus of the church there at Philippi on Paul's first missionary journey. And he addresses them, if you'll notice, he addresses them as saints in Christ Jesus. Now the word saint there simply means a set-apart one. It means those who have been saved, those who have been born again, those who have received Christ, and they have been set apart in the Lord Jesus. And so, basically, if you're saved, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, you're a saint. You say, well, Brother Sammy, I, I really don't, I don't think I'm a saint. I don't, I don't live like a saint. Well, that's a different sermon for a different day. <laughs> He's not talking about how you live. He's talking about what you are. He's talking about your position. Now, let's just pretend for a moment. Let's say uh, Jamie Dora. Let's say Jamie plays football. And I'll say, Jamie, what position do you play? And he says, well, I play tight end. Well, let's pretend that I've never seen Jamie play. 
Now I know what position he plays. I know what position he's in. Although I may not know exactly how he plays. And so notice to the saints, those who are born again, those that are set apart. And notice he says those that are at Philippi. Now at Philippi, Philippi was the geographical address. We're saints at Mountain View Baptist Church, 2110 Highway 81, Field Camel, Alabama. That's our geographical address. That's their geographical address. But they had a spiritual address. They were saints in Christ. And so you have a geographical address, you have a, you have a spiritual address, and so when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says that you are in Christ. You're in Jesus Christ. So you are the saints at a geographical location, Mountain View Baptist Church, 2110 Highway 81, Field Camel, Alabama. But your and our spiritual address is in Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2, he says, Grace be unto you and peace from our God and Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. He uses two words of greeting in the Greek world and the Hebrew world. He uses two words. He uses grace in the Greek, that is charis. If your name is Karen, that, comes, that word means grace. And so as the Greek would greet someone, they would say charis. Grace to you. If you're in the Hebrew world, they would meet you and they would say, Shalom, peace. And so you have those two words. You have grace and peace. But Paul takes those two words of greeting, grace and peace, and he kindly brings them together and he teaches how God touches a soul with grace and peace. Now, it's always grace first. The unmerited favor of God. And after you experience God's grace in your life, then you experience God's peace in your life. So grace is first, and then there's peace. Now you'll never find those, you'll never find that order reversed in the New Testament or throughout the Bible. It's always grace, and then comes peace. You have the unmerited favor of God. And the unmerited favor of God brings peace. Now, the word peace there means to join together. Now, without grace, you're separated from God. But because of grace, you have peace with God. You're joined together with God. So you have grace and peace. And so when we experience the grace of God, God puts life back into us again, and we have, we have peace for we're justified by grace, but we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So God says today, grace and peace. But look at verse 3. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making request with joy. Now I can only underline joy in my Bible, that little word is kind of the theme of Philippians. It's kind of like a little bell that rings throughout the book. The joy bell, you might say. It rings throughout the book. Eighteen times the word joy is used. 
Philippians is referred to by the majority of theologians as the joy book. It's about joy. Now, there's a difference between joy and happiness. There are some people that have happiness, but they don't have joy. Happiness comes from happenstance, things that happen to us uh, in our life. See, you can, you can be happy, something, those outward things can bring happiness at times, but joy is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, temperance, meekness, mercy, for which there's no law. And so you can be happy, but not joyful or joyous. So joy is put in our heart by God and joy is experienced regardless of the circumstances you're going through. You can experience joy. Now, the book of Philippians tells us about joy. The whole book's about joy. The book doesn't define joy, but it tells us about a person by the name of Paul that's experiencing joy in the midst of a very difficult circumstance. So don't think for a moment, regardless what you might be going through in your life, that God cannot bring joy in your life from it. Because he gives an example here with Paul. Now, Paul was, I'm sure, a happy person, but he was a joyful person. I like to be around joyful people. Happy people, but joyful people. Now, Warren Wiersbe says there are two key words in understanding Philippians. Now, he uses the word joy, but he says the second word is mind. Look, if you will, at chapter 2, verse 5. He says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. So, Wiersbe says that there's two words that can define the book of Philippians, and that is joy, but also there, there is the word mind. He points out that some form of the word mind is used throughout the book. Mind or understand or understanding or thought or knowing. Those words are used throughout the book. Wiersbe says that Philippians is a book that talks about the joyful Christian mind. Uh, he also says in the book, there are four thieves that rob us of our joy. And basically, that's what chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4 is about. Those four thieves that robs us of our joy. And so chapter 1 is about circumstances that rob us of our joy. You ever had any circumstances that robbed you of your joy? Sure. Secondly, chapter 2 talks about people that, that rob us of our joy. Have you ever had a person to rob you of your joy. I mean, you'd be so excited in the Lord and all of a sudden you meet this person and they would just, devil just use them just to rob you of your joy. Sure. Chapter 3 talks about the third robber and that's things. Things. Things will rob us of our joy. And then chapter 4, he speaks of worry. How worrying about people and worrying about circumstances and worrying about things will rob us of our joy. Have you ever had, have you ever worried and it turned out to be a thief that just robbed you of your joy? 
Yeah, all of us have. So the book of Philippians, according to Wearsby, and that's pretty good too. Uh, he says those four thieves, and those are represented chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4. So the, the whole point of this series is that we want to look close at each one of those chapters, and we want to see these thieves, study these thieves that rob us of our joy uh, in the coming weeks. Now, we may venture away in a week, or next week's Mother's Day, and we may address mothers and family or parents or children or something of that nature. But as the Lord leads, we'll, we'll look at Philippians chapter 1 through 4. Now, your circumstance, chapter 1, talks about our circumstances and how our circumstances can rob us of our joy. Now, when things are going well, it's easy to be joyful. It's when those terrible times come, when it's difficult to be joyful. Look at verse 4. He says, Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making requests with joy. Now remember, this is key, when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was in a dungeon, he was in jail. He really was on death row. His circumstances were very difficult. He was having a very difficult time. And so the question is, are you going through a difficult time? Is there something that's troubling you? Are you going through a very difficult time? Right now, as a Christian, you're just going through a difficult time. And so you say, well, how can I experience joy in this circumstance? Well, first of all, we have to have a single mind. The Bible teaches us about having a single mind. A mind that is, that is focused. Now, as you read this chapter, you're going to find that Jesus... Mentioned eight, Jesus is mentioned 18 times, and the gospel is mentioned uh, six times. And so you have Jesus mentioned 18 times, the gospel mentioned six times, and so Paul has a single focus on who? Jesus, and on what? The gospel. That's his focus. He's focused on Jesus and the gospel. To have victory over your circumstance, to have joy in your circumstance, you're going to have to have a single mind. Remember Paul's situation? He was in prison. So the point is, here's a man that's going to be executed any moment, but he's focused in all of that. He's focused on Jesus Christ and the gospel. Now, someone said... If your circumstances find you in God, then you'll find God in your circumstances. That makes sense. If your circumstances find you in God, you will find God in your circumstances. And so the point is, this chapter is going to show us how Paul was able in his circumstances to, to exalt Jesus Christ... Remember what his focus is. While at the same time, extend the gospel of Jesus Christ. So he's single-minded, single, he's single -minded, focused on Jesus and the gospel, going through a very difficult time. And so he's going to exalt Jesus during this time, going to extend the gospel. Now, there's three, uh, three phrases that, that jump out at you. When you have a single mind, when, when your purpose in life is to exalt or when you want to extend the gospel. I was reading last week our, our youth were in camp. They were at camp and VBS camp. And so uh, they, uh, they wrote what camp meant to them. 
and Greg and Jennifer brought back uh, brought back you guys uh, uh, letters, uh, and I read those. And almost everyone, I'd say 99%, if not all of them, all of them said they wanted to exalt Jesus and share the gospel. Now, not necessarily those words, but that was what they were wanting to do. They wanted to exalt Jesus in their life, and they wanted to share the gospel with their friends. That's what Paul, that's that single focused, that's what Paul, that's what Paul wanted to do. Exalt Jesus. Extend the gospel. And so when your purpose in life is to exalt Jesus, when you want to extend the gospel, if that's your desire, then you need to know these three phrases. And they're found in verses 5, 12, and 27. And I'm going to point those out to you. First of all, when Jesus is first, you get involved, number one, in verse 5, in sharing the fellowship of the gospel. Look at verse 5. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now. So, if I'm going to be single-minded, exalt Jesus, extend the gospel, then I must be willing to share the fellowship of the gospel. Share in the fellowship of the gospel. Number two. Verse 12 is to seek further, furtherance of the gospel. Look at uh, verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out rather unto, here it is, the furtherance of the gospel. And then verse 27. We're going to look at these independently in just a moment says, only let your conversation be as that becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together. Here it is. For the faith of the gospel. And so, if Jesus is going to be first in my life, if I'm going to be single focused then I have to be involved in sharing in the fellowship of the gospel, seeking the furtherance of the gospel, and verse 27, be involved in standing for the faith of the gospel. Now, what makes me joyful? What made Paul joyful? Well, look at verse 5. Verse 5 says, For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day unto now. What is the fellowship of the gospel? The fellowship of the gospel is more than just a covered dish supper. In fact, it's not that at all. When we think of a fellowship, we think of covered dish, or we think of a hot dog fellowship, or we think of some type of eating uh, that we can come together. But the word fellowship here is kononia. And kononia simply means to have in common. To have in common. So you have something in common with another person. To have fellowship in the gospel, you have something in common with someone else. Uh, someone said fellowship, simply a, a good way to describe that is two persons in the same ship. Well, that's that's kind of neat, but that's what it is. You have something in, in common. It's, the Bible says that those of us who are saved share fellowship in the gospel. We have things in common. We have something in common with each other. Now what do we have in common with each other in having fellowship in the gospel? Well, we have the same Jesus. 
We have that in common. Or him in common. Same person. We have the same Bible in common. We have the same Holy Spirit in common. We have the same spiritual gifts in common, available, given by the Holy Spirit. And we have the same heaven in common. We're going to the same heaven. We're worshiping the same God, reading the same book, studying the same scripture. We have those things in common. So we are in fellowship together in the gospel. So that's why the song says, What a fellowship, what a joy divine. Leaning on the everlasting arms. So the question today is, first of all, in order to have joy in our circumstance, we have to answer just a very basic question. Are, do we have fellowship in the gospel? Are you included in that fellowship? Do you have that in common with others? Do we have that? Now, are you in fellowship today? You say, well, how do I know if I'm in fellowship? He makes three statements. Look at verse 3. To know you're in fellowship. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. So to be in fellowship, to have something in common with me or Brother Terry, uh, then I have Brother Terry in my mind. I remember him. I have that in common. He remembers me. I remember him real good. I call him accidentally. Three or four times a day. This phone I have, it just automatically calls Terry Wilburn for some reason. I, I lay it down, I look, and it's dialing his number. But, but anyway, well, I got rid of that phone yesterday. But the new phone called you right off. I noticed that. Have fellowship in my mind. Number seven, I have fellowship in the heart. Even as it meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart. See there? Have you in my mind, thinking of you. Have you in my heart. And then verse 9 says, I have you in my prayers. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. And so, if we are in fellowship with each other, we have people in our mind, we have people in our heart, we have people in our prayer. We're in fellowship. We have that in common kind of like the high priest in the Old Testament would go to the Holy of Holies and he'd have on the breast the breastplate uh, the, the high priestly breastplate and he would have 12 stones representing the 12 tribes of Israel and they were across his breastplate. He had the people next to his heart. So today we need to keep people on our heart. Paul said, I have you in my prayers. Verse 5, verse 6. Look at verse 6. Being confident of this very thing, that which hath begun a good work in you. He said, God's begun a good work in you. And he said, he's going to perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. God does a, a threefold work on a human soul. First of all, God does work for you. That's salvation. That Christ died on the cross for your sins. He's made salvation available for every person. When you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God does work through you. That's your spiritual service. That's your serving Him and serving people. So He does, he does uh, a work for you, salvation. He does a work through you, that service. And then He does a work in you, and that's sanctification. He makes you more and more like Jesus Christ every day. That's sanctification. And God... 
Now listen, He uses our circumstances to bring about that work in us. Amen. Now, first of all, in a single mind, a single mind shares in the fellowship of the gospel. Jot this down, number two. A single mind seeks the furtherance of the gospel. Look at verse 12, and I've got to hurt. Look at verse 12. Verse 12 says, But I would you not understand, brethren, that the things which happen unto me have fallen out. Rather, those, those terrible things that's happened to me, they've fallen out, rather, unto the furtherance of the gospel. Now, the furtherance of the gospel. If you'll notice, uh, you have some words italicized there. Uh, which happened... Uh, uh, this this literally is what he says. Now, the reason that those words are italicized is because there was no word in English that they could use when they translated this from Greek into English that those two words, italicized words there, are the closest thing to the Greek they had. And so you can just leave that out, and I believe you'd have a, a more literal meaning. But I would you understand, brother, that the things unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Those things that have happened to me, things unto me. You see, the point is things just don't happen to Christians. Amen. Whatever you're going through just didn't happen. Amen. The point is things just don't happen to Christians. My life, your life is not dependent upon happenstance, but upon providence. Amen. Remember that when something befalls you, when something comes against you. Say, God, why have you permitted this in my life? What are you trying to show me in all of this? You see, God's at work. He uses the word furtherance. Now, the word furtherance there in verse 13, the word literally means to cut before. I can remember when I was in the National Guard, we were in, a, we were in an engineering company, and I went off for basic training, and uh, then AIT, and then I ran across some combat engineers. And the purpose of the combat engineer, back then it was during Vietnam, and they would go before the troops and they would cut trees and they would make a way for the troops to come. Same idea here. They'd go in and they cut trails for the troops to follow. Paul wanted to plant a flag of the gospel where it had never been planted before. He says, listen, things that have happened to me have brought about the furtherance of the gospel. The gospel's gone to those places it's never been before. It's kind of like going to Nicaragua or Romania. The gospel's going to where it's never been before. Amen. Paul said, because things have happened to me, it's benefited because it's caused the furtherance of the gospel. And God used Paul's circumstances to make that possible. Now, what do you mean by that, Brother Sammy? Well, look in verse 13. He talks about chains. He said, So that my bonds in Christ, my chains in Christ, are, made, are manifest in all the palace, in all other places. His chains, his bonds. His chains have been an opportunity to get the gospel out. Can you imagine being chained to a soldier all day? Maybe every three hours they'd chain soldiers. Another soldier would come. And old Paul said, let me tell you something. There was this man by the name of Jesus. 
<laughs> you know what he did? God sent him to earth to die on the cross for your sins and my sins. And they crucified him and they buried him. And on the third day he arose from the dead. And he ascended into heaven. And he says, if you put your faith and trust in him, you can have eternal life. Well, that guy was glad his time was up and they chained another to him. He says, let me tell you something. There's this guy by the name. <laughs> you imagine that? Now, it goes all the way to the palace. Now, look, if you will, at chapter 4. Chapter 4, look at verse 22. Uh, I believe it's chapter 4, verse 22. Is that it? Chapter 4, 22. All, uh, let me see. All the saints salute you chiefly. They are of Caesar's household. It went all the way into the house of Caesar. Just think of that. And so, he uses that word palace. The word palace there literally means the Praetorian Guard. It was the top 9,000 troops of, the, of Caesar. It was the Green Beret of the day. It was the Navy SEAL of the day. He, he got into that rank. Witness to those. And he even went into Caesar's house. Chapter 4, verse 22. Now the question is this. Are you going through a tough time? God may be using your chains in order to get the gospel out. You may be chained to a job that you just literally despise. You may be chained to a location and you'd give anything if you could sell your house and move, but it just won't sell right now. You just chained there. It may be that you're chained to a relationship, but God may be using the chains to extend His gospel. God used Paul's chains, and then God used Paul's competition. Look at this in verse 14. Use his chains, use his competition. Verse 14, And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Paul was in jail, you know, and all these other preachers just got wound up, and they just preached so bold, they just preached their heart out. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife and some also of goodwill. And the one preached Christ of contention not, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds. But the others of love knowing that I'm set for defense of the gospel. What then? I mean, here's some that's preaching and God's using that because, you know, they're, uh, they're, they become more bold. And then here's some that's preaching the gospel more because they're just jealous of me and envy of me. Well, what, what then? What, what am I going to do about it? I mean, how would you deal? How would I deal with envy and jealous, jealousy and competition in ministry? Paul says, I just rejoice because I don't care who's doing the preaching as long as the preaching's getting done. Isn't that neat? Isn't that neat? So your change can further the gospel. Your competition can further the gospel. And then your crisis can further the gospel. Look at verse 19. He says, For I know that this shall turn my salvation. Now, turn my sal word salvation there means to be released from prison. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectation, my hope, 
that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified, underline that word, in my body, whether it be alive or whether it be death. Paul says, the only desire that I have during this crisis that Jesus Christ may be magnified. Now, there are only two ways to magnify something. You can magnify something by a microscope. You can take something small and make it larger. You can magnify something by telescope. You can take something that seems to be far away and you can bring it closer. You see what Paul said? Paul said, listen, Jesus can be, must be magnified. You'll make Jesus big. You'll make him big. Where others around you can see him, they think he's far off. They think God's far off. Yeah, they think Jesus is far off. They, I mean, Jesus is here today. Amen. Do you, you want to make Jesus big? You want to magnify Jesus and that you make him big where, where people can, can feel him and sense him? That's what Paul said I want to do in my life is magnify him. Paul says, I, I, I want to make Jesus, I want to make Jesus big. You don't take, you want to magnify Jesus where you want to take Jesus that seems to be far off by the world, but you want to bring him closer through your life where people can see him working in your life. So here's the point. If you allow Christ to be magnified in your life, we can take Jesus who seems to be far off and we can bring him near. And so we share the fellowship. We share in the fellowship of the gospel. We seek the furtherance, furtherance of the gospel. And I'll close real quick with this. We stand for the faith of the gospel. Look at verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh. That's an interesting word. I put it in parentheses. The gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together. Here it is. For the faith of the gospel. Being willing to stand for the faith of the gospel. He uses the word conversation. The word conversation means your behavior. It's the life that you live. It refers to how we live. And he uses the word becometh. He says, notice that in verse 27, Only let your conversation and life you live be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That word becometh there. Um, yeah, ladies, ever heard, have you ever had your husband to say, or let's just say, have you ever had a friend to say, man, that outfit becomes you. Ever had that? Man, that's very becoming. What does that mean? That's what he said here. He uses the word becoming. And he talks, and literally what he's meaning is, you have an ornate beauty about you already, and that outfit, that dress just brings it out more. See? He says, let your life bring out the relationship that you have with Christ. Let it become you. Let your conversation, your life, your living becometh you to the point that you just bring Jesus out in your life. Now, live in such a way that people are attached to Jesus the way that you live. Now, the Christian life, he says in verse 27, literally is, is, is a battleground. 
So we're to stand for the faith of the gospel. Look at verse 21. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Verse 25. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your, for your furtherance and joy of faith. Verse 26. That your rejoicing may be more abundant in Christ Jesus for me by my coming to you again. Paul had this philosophy in life. Do you have a philosophy of life? Most of us do. Paul's philosophy was to die is to gain. Some author said this. He said, life is your punishment for being born. That's his philosophy. Tim McGraw, country singer, had a life's philosophy. He wrote a song, number one on the charts at one time, live like you're dying. That's his philosophy. What's Paul's philosophy? Look at verse 21. Paul's philosophy is this. For to me is live, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For me to live is Christ. Now, there are two words there that cannot be changed in verse 21. Live and die. Can't change those words. Now, there are two words that can be changed. Christ and gain. Now I want you to take a little exercise with me as we wind down. Now be honest with yourself. For me to live is blank. What would you put in it? What's your philosophy? For me to live is blank. You see, life is what makes you alive. Um, life is what you're alive to. It, it, uh, you go into a bookstore and I come alive. Uh, Judy walks into a mall and, and before we get in there I'm saying, you want to walk with me? Come on. And then I get, I open the door for her and she's gone. She comes alive. See, so what makes you live? What makes you want to live? Is it money? Would you put in for me to live is money? Is that what you're living for? For me to live is my house. For me to live is my job. Now let, let me share this with you. If you put anything there... But Christ, you got to change the last word. See, so you got to change the last word. You, you, for me to live is money, but to die is loss. For me to live is a house, but to die is loss. For me to live for a job and die. It's loss. Got to change the last word. If you're living for money, when you die, it's loss. Football, when you die, it's loss. I have a recommendation to you. I'd just go ahead today and put Jesus number one in your life. Amen. 
And when you die, it's what? It's gain. It's gain. It's gain. Now, if you can't say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, then you won't have joy in your circumstances. Let's bow our heads for prayer.